All right, so for the last two weeks, we've looked at a single fruit of the Spirit in the life of the Christian, and we have seen, we're going to do just kind of summary for a moment, we have seen that the character of a Christian, though it can look like the character of a non-Christian, they are fundamentally different. The love that God is working into the Christian through the Holy Spirit is even a love for the enemy, for those that you find odious, for those that your flesh naturally resists and thinks does not deserve love or grace or mercy. We all have that kind of person. But secular love is a love for those who looks like you, who sound like you, who dresses like you, who are interested in the same things as you are. Then last week we got to joy. And the joy that God is working in a Christian through the Holy Spirit is a joy that can be experienced even in pain and even in adversity. Remember, Jesus likened it to a woman in childbirth. The the pain is worth the joy. But secular joy is this up and down experience of happiness that is challenged and threatened and destroyed in the presence of pain and suffering. And likewise, it's going to go the same with today's fruit of the Spirit, which is the work of God in us through Jesus and His Spirit for peace. Today, we're going to look underneath the hood, as we've been doing every week, to see what powers the non-Christian's peace and what powers the Christian's peace. So let's begin by defining secular peace. Once again, just like last week, I just kind of search what do... Leading figures, non-secular, no horse in the race for religion. What do they say about peace? And here's what I kind of compiled. They define peace as something like this, that peace is the absence of hostility. And some of you are like, oh, man, that sounds good. I'd love that in my home right now, right? Peace is the absence of hostility, the absence of violence, and it's secured by government. It's secured by laws, or I found it can be relationally secured just by mutually agreed upon behavior. We're going to have this relationship, and for this relationship to exist, you're going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Secular peace is defined by an absence of war, whether it's literally or figuratively. But this expression of peace falls short, drastically falls short, of the peace that God the Father secured for us in the death of his Son. You see, this understanding of peace is mutually exclusive. If you're at war, you can't be at peace with somebody. And if you're at peace with somebody, you cannot be at war with them. Mutually exclusive. And we have to remember, and we have learned this since our Proverbs study this year, that though non-Christians develop beautiful character, There's a lot of non-Christians that their love is beautiful. Their joy is tangible, right? But they are still broken and flawed image bearers of God. Two people or two countries may not be at war with each other. And therefore, relative peace may be achieved. But this is fundamentally different than the peace the Bible speaks of today. You see, peace is not secured by the government. Peace is not secured by laws. Peace is not brokered through negotiations with people. If you do this, I do this. All of that is transactional. Peace is secured by one person, and that is Jesus himself. Christian peace, on the other hand, is this. It is the work of of the Holy Spirit in the Christian, secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus, to experience, this is hard for me right here, but this is what I think it is, to experience a restful and assured relationship with the Father. And then that causes the Christian to live well for the Father and Jesus in this life. I think that's what Christian peace is. And today we're going to see that Jesus alone is the one who secures peace. 
He secures peace for his people. And this peace, first and foremost, is a peace with the Father. Peace with Jesus' Father leads you and I to have peace in this life. Even in the face of war, even in the face of adversity and anxiety, even if things don't feel right in your relationships. That's where we're going today. Let's see how I capture it in the proposition. Our proposition today that the idea is going to drive our text through is this, is that the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian so that they can experience peace with God even in those troubles and even in those relationships. Jesus is going to tell us today that in this world, you will have tribulation. We've sung about it already. Now you're going to see it in the scriptures. Life is a struggle for both the Christian and the non-Christian. By no means am I trying to minimize a non-Christian's experience of struggle in this life or of love, joy, peace, patience as we continue. But non-Christian struggle is this. Their struggle isn't of dishonoring God and feeling bad for dishonoring God. The non-Christian struggle is a struggle to actualize or to possess the type of life that they want, to possess the things that they desire. The anxiety or the stress they feel is because they want this and they feel like they're here and there's a gap between it and they feel like they have to control their lives to get to that end. That's non-Christian struggle. But Christians uniquely struggle, we learn from Paul, between the flesh and the spirit. And all of this is magnified because we are both fallen image bearers of God. And we live side by side with other fallen Christians and other fallen non-Christians. So all of this is magnified. And the result is in peace. It is struggle. And Jesus is very upfront with us as Christians to not be surprised when this happens. The antithesis of peace, therefore, isn't war. It's anxiety. It's not war. It's anxiety. War is symptomatic. Anxiety is a term that is misused and overused, especially by people here in the West. It feels like, and I feel this pastorally, that it seems like every single person has multiple anxiety issues these days that are labeled as anxiety. If you hear them share their hearts, you will come to see some of the issues that kind of, almost as if there's dots on the board that can be connected with all these anxiety issues. Their anxiety runs deeper, actually, than the things that they attribute to their anxiety. But, unfortunately and sadly, they're not willing to look underneath the hood to see what's causing that anxiety. Whether it is secular peace or Christian peace, peace must be secured. Peace is the experience of security, which means anxiety is the experience of insecurity. That's the root. Insecurity and where your security should be. So therefore, the more perceived security and whatever you deem to be security for you, the greater the experience of peace. And then the converse is true. The less perceived security, the more anxious you are going to feel. Do you get that so far? People struggle as fallen image bearers of God. We struggle with anxiety because even if we're Christians, we put our security in the wrong things and the wrong people. Do you get that? Everything else is symptomatic. We put our security in people and things that cannot ever provide peace. That is too much weight for that person to bear. There is truly only one bearer of burdens. So when we are cut off from that thing, and you don't have access to it anymore, and you begin jonesing for it, right? And anxiety starts. Or if you lose that relationship, and you go through that relational struggle, and we experience anxiety. 
And here's maybe, I think, the discouraging yet encouraging thing for us as Christians, that even Christians can experience this. Are you okay with that? I'm saying that even Christians can put their security in the wrong thing. Christians can put their security in the wrong people. They can say Jesus is Lord, but they have another functional Lord in their lives. They turn to for more security than money or husband or wife or children or job or roof or governmental laws. God begins a work for you to see and feel differently about Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You were in this position. The Holy Spirit moved. He put you in this position. And because you're here, you see Jesus from a different angle and a perspective than you did when you were over here, right? And you can still put your security and things and people over Jesus. But we're here to tell you today that only Jesus can provide the security that you need to fight the real issues of anxiety. The greatest trouble that a person can experience in this life isn't war, a lack of income, famine, or that awkward conversation you need to have with a coworker at the water cooler, or the awkward conversation you need to have with that loved one. The greatest trouble that you are going to experience in this life is death. That's it. That is the number one underneath it all cause for all anxiety, death, the wage for which your life deserves and is pointing and going to. No matter how much you control, no matter how much you manipulate your environment, no matter how much you manipulate the people in your life to achieve the end that you want, you cannot control death. That is the root cause of your anxiety. You are living a certain way, and no matter how much you do or say, you know death is coming. And this creates troubles for the heart. And the older that you get, the more that you feel this. Right, older Christians? Okay. I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. Christian peace is a peace for the aging and troubled heart. Today, we're going to see Jesus alone secures this peace. Jesus secured peace by taking on your greatest tribulation, the greatest cause of your anxiety. What is going to happen to you when your hands no, no longer do what you want it to do? Your back is aching all the time, and you get the worst news from your doctor that's conceivable. Jesus died to help you escape and experience security for the greatest anxiety in this life, which is what is going to happen to you when you're done. The Holy Spirit indwells the Christian to be the mediator of this whole experience, to be the mediator for you to experience real peace that's more beyond some accord that one country or another country may sign in the coming days. That's greater than this. The peace that you experience through Jesus and his spirit is peace, above all, with the Father. And when you begin to experience this, and like we say, when you run to the Father again and again and again and experience this time and time again, the greater the security. And this experience of peace inevitably will result in a difference in how you respond to anxiety and how you respond to the people in your life, which you believe right now is the greatest cause of your anxiety, but they're just a symptom. There's something underneath it all. That's what today is about. Let's get to our first point. In point one, you're going to see that the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian to teach them how to trust Jesus in their troubles and fears. You know what heritage is like so far. If we had the money to put a billboard on I-75, it wouldn't be Christianity is rainbows and sprinkles, right? We would not be doing that. But we would say that Christianity is experiencing love, joy, peace, patience in the midst of troubles, in the midst of fears, 
when the world is falling apart, that's when these fruits shine brightest and taste the sweetest. In the Gospel of John, Jesus told his disciples it's better for him to go away. They struggled with this, and you may have struggled with these words. How is it better for Jesus to leave this world? A couple decades later, Jerusalem destroyed by Rome. Temple never rebuilt. It's almost been 2,000 years, still not rebuilt. They're still fighting over there, right? They could not understand many things that Jesus said until what we looked at weeks ago, until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and then things began to click. And we read the Gospel of John together. We would see John say something like, and we didn't understand this until after the resurrection. We didn't understand what he said until after this or that. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry. In John 14, 26 to 27, we see the reason why Jesus said it is better for him to go away. And we're going to see the reason why the Holy Spirit indwells you as a Christian. And then one of the reasons is to create this fruit in you. Even in trouble, even in fear, even in anxiety, even with threats of wars and rumors of war. Anxiety seeks to threaten your assurance in this life and in the next. But peace provides for your assurance with God, which then changes how you live and how you respond to the news and the experiences of all of these things. And we're going to see Jesus teach this right now. Let's look at verse 26. Jesus says, which is so crazy, you have to be confronted with this. Before he talks about peace, he talks about this. They're connected. You want peace? This is how to get it. Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Heritage, do you see this? This is the clearest and simplest explanation of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And in this, we don't see that the Holy Spirit exists to give you a personal experience of which no other Christian has. That's not why the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. The Holy Spirit indwells powerfully, completely, totally, all Christians to help them. That's it. That is why the word that is used here for helper is the Greek word parakletos. You know that old southern country name, Cletus? Parakletos is where it comes from. It's not actually southern in country, it's Greek. The Holy Spirit is our parakletos, our helper, because he comes alongside you. He comforts you. He counsels you. And he advocates for you to the Father. The Holy Spirit does this. Clearly, Jesus says, one, by teaching you everything that he has said, and then causing you to remember the things that Jesus said when you need it the most, in the anxiety, in the rumor of war, in the relational strife, in your fears and troubles. That is why the Holy Spirit is here, not for some ecstatic experiences, but when you're fighting anxiety to remind you, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, so be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What can I not overcome, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This means the Holy Spirit is your teacher for how to respond to trouble, how to respond to fear, how to respond to anxiety. So in essence, you should be turning to him more than anybody who claims to have some sort of clinical education about how to respond to these things. Because they are also operating as a flawed, broken image bearer of God. Beautiful. Valid sometimes, but broken. The Holy Spirit uses Jesus' word to grow Jesus' character into you. If Jesus is your peace. We sing at Heritage. You are peace. You are peace when my fear is crippling. Right? Now let's see it in verse 27. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help 
to teach you, to cause you to remember Jesus' words when you need it most. And then we get this verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives do I give to you. Conclusion, don't let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Peace is the gift of Jesus. The fruit, the outworking of Jesus' spirit in your heart. Jesus gives the experience of peace, this peace, uniquely to his people. And the Holy Spirit, we see, is a helper because he's the mediator of this experience. You're not going to find it elsewhere. You're not going to find it in a bottle. You're not going to find it in a pill. You're not going to find it on the highest of heights or the lowest of lows. You're not going to find it on a seashore or out in the woods. There's one mediator to this experience, and it's the Holy Spirit. Look at how Jesus describes his peace right now in this one verse. It is clear Jesus' peace is not secular peace. Do you see that? He gives peace in a distinctive way that contrasts how the world gives peace. Secular peace, therefore, is subjective and it's relative. Secular peace is brokered by fallen image bearers of God. It's secured through negotiations and it's dependent upon that other image bearer of God saying, okay, I want to do what I want to do right now. And I know I said I would do this earlier in life, but I want to do what I want to do. And it hinges on them saying, but nonetheless, I agree to this and I'll do it. Which means it's counting on human beings not to act according to human nature. Right? Christian peace is secured by Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. It is objective and it is true. His peace can be experienced in your deepest troubles today, in your deepest fears today, in the root causes underneath all of your anxiety, that tough conversation you have to have. Secular peace is merely or only the absence of war. But Christian peace is the experience of rest and assurance with God the Father. This peace, Jesus says, can be experienced even in the presence of war. When you don't have the roof over your head. When the income is not streaming in. It's like a little dot, 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 dot. And even when that loved one is killing you. Look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work of peace in you. Jesus says the result is this. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That's the result of peace in you. The Holy Spirit's indwelling will result in the experience of peace. And peace looks like a heart that fights against your troubles, against your fears, against your anxieties. The Christian, therefore, can be surrounded and bombarded by trouble and by fears and anxieties, and they can experience rest. It's crazy, but it's not worldly peace. This rest comes because you've truly experienced what Jesus has offered and done for you in his life and death for you and his Father. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit to something that Jesus says maybe, I don't know, maybe a couple minutes later, maybe an hour later from John 14. In the 16th chapter, in verse 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you. There's Jesus' word. Why? So that in me you may have peace. And then look at what he says. In the world you will have tribulation. Here's some hope. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Fear, trouble, anxiety, wars, rumors of wars. Jesus has overcome the world. Take courage. Or the old translations may say, be of good cheer. Anybody say that yet? Good. I'm glad. Peace is found uniquely in Jesus. 
your experience of peace in Jesus is related to your experience in his word by his spirit. That's the relationship. The greater chance of peace comes along with the greater experience and immersion in the scriptures and in the spirit. We can't separate that now. Do you wonder why you are more and more fearful than ever? More and more anxious than ever? What is the relationship with your immersion in God's word and God's spirit? Because through God's word and God's spirit, he's going to give you what you need to fight the troubles, to fight the anxiety, to fight the fears. Jesus is clear. You will experience tribulation in this life. And at first glance, this doesn't make sense, right? Especially if you have embraced the secular, non-Christian view of peace being the absence of war. Because if you're experiencing war, you can't be at peace. And if you're at peace, you won't be experiencing war. That's non-Christian peace. So this will not make sense to you. So here's the hope, and here's the courage. Jesus says, be of good cheer. So we ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, how can we take courage? How can we be of good cheer when we're experiencing trouble and when we're afraid? And when we're anxious, and Jesus responds quickly and says, I have overcome the world. Do you see that? Jesus says, I have already experienced and I've already overcome all that you are afraid of in this life. All that you are anxious about in this life. Every single fear that's crippling you right now, I have already overcome it functionally on the cross. You just haven't experienced it yet. Most likely because the basis of your security is not Jesus, and it's not his word, and it's not his spirit. It's some other thing or some other person you turn to when you're anxious. The basis of your courage, the basis of your peace as a Christian in this life is that Jesus already took all of those things that are on your shoulders Guess what, Christian? He's already put it on his shoulders and died for it. That's our basis. At the cross, Jesus took upon all of your troubles, all of your sorrows, all of your fears, all of your anxieties. And Jesus has already experienced what your enemy would want to do with you in your anxiety, in your fears, in your troubles, in those relational struggles. And what the enemy wants to do is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus already said this prior to John 16. But take courage. Jesus has overcome. At the cross, Jesus conquered what your sins and your sorrows would do to you. And death could not hold him, amen? You think your fear is crippling you right now, but Jesus crippled fear. Jesus took the stinger out of death. Jesus is a true alleve for your pain. Whatever other medicines we take for our different ailments. This is why the peace that Jesus secures and the peace that Jesus provides is better than secular peace. Can I get an amen? Here's the promise. Jesus has put his conquering spirit into you. That's the hope. And the Holy Spirit helps by offering you the peace that Jesus experienced while he yelled out in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. The Holy Spirit offers to you the peace that Jesus must have felt on the cross when he felt forsaken by his Father. He felt that way, but it wasn't reality. His body felt that way. And you are not your body, no matter what Western culture tells you. And the Holy Spirit teaches you this by his word. He causes you to remember Jesus' word when you're in the trouble, when you're facing the fear, 
when you're tempted in your anxieties. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry to cause you to remember what Jesus says when you need it most. This experience of Jesus' peace through his spirit, it destroys the greatest adversity that you will experience in this life, which is eternal alienation from the Father. Not having that hard conversation with the coworker. Eternal alienation from God the Father. And that brings us to our point of application. In these final moments with you, Heritage, I want to push you to see that you are to find your security in the peace that Jesus provided for you with God as the basis for you seeking peace with people. Two scriptures from Paul to help you see the peace that you experience with God the Father, then as the motivation for you to seek peace with people. That's where we're going right now. Jesus secured peace for his people by overcoming death, the greatest anxiety. Jesus gives his spirit to work his peace into his people. That's you, if you truly are a Christian. His peace is how we fight troubled hearts and fearful hearts and anxiety. Two applications to this. It's one statement, but it's two applications. And the first thing we're going to look at is how Jesus' peace is applied to your relationship with Jesus' Father. You have to remember, you are made in God's image, but you are not God's literal son or daughter. You are not a demigod. We're not like the Greeks and the Romans who believed that human beings were literal half-sons or daughters of gods. We're image bearers. God has one son, and it's not Pastor Joe, and it's not you. We come into the family of God through what Jesus has done for us in which we call adoption which we've looked at a lot recently. The greatest anxiety, the greatest fear, the greatest trouble we have in this life is an eternal alienation from God as our Father. He is the greatest remedy to our fears, troubles, and anxieties. And the true thing that we're fearing most is that eternal separation from the best of all dads. But by nature, before Jesus, or the non-Christian, we're separated from God, and it's inconsequential to us. It doesn't really matter to us. It's eat, drink. Tomorrow we die. They think there's nothing after death. Many people in the West and the East, even in the East, they think there's, it's a cycle. It's not a timeline. It's a cycle. You just do over and over and over again. And the goal of life is to get off the cycle, get off the wheel. Death brings the greatest fear because you're not in control. And all my control freaks, myself included, are like, yes, yes, yes. You cannot secure the life that you want for yourself and for your loved ones anymore. And you will stand before God as maker and judge. Whether you have loved him and lived for him in this life or not. And the scariest thing isn't talking to that person at the water cooler. It's standing before God as your maker and as your judge, but not your father. Do you see that? That's the greatest anxiety. Because Jesus says, be afraid of God who can do away with body and soul and hell. Be afraid of him. Can be anxious about anything. Be anxious about this maker, judge, God. But if you have him as father, there's nothing to be afraid of. And this changes how you approach people. Jesus took on death to secure peace with his father when you meet him as maker and as judge. That's the basis of your security in this life. If that is maker, judge, and father, you're going to be okay. That's how good of a father he is. Amen? That's the basis today which I believe Jesus and Paul is pushing for you to see. For you to begin to be pushing back against your anxiety instead of just managing it. There's a difference between the two. Between just managing versus fighting it. 
Security is the basis for how we fight. And it's security with experiencing God as Father. Let's see it now in Paul. Two verses we'll look at in Romans. Verse 1 is 5-1. Listen to how Paul says this to Christians in Italy. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, look at this. What's the result? What's the fruit? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this could say, you have peace with the Father through the Son. Do you see that? Secular peace is different from Christian peace because secular peace is subjective. It relies on other fallen image bearers that they're going to do their end of the deal. Their nature puts self before you, and people can only be who they are. They can't be anything more, and they can't be anything less. And you and I have a nature that screams self before others. Governments rise and governments fall. Laws change, it feels like, with every single election cycle. Can someone in our country have more of a political stamp than just, I'm going to seek to undo what the previous person did? That's not for people. That's for yourself. That's for your image. That's secular peace. Relationships will change, even if you establish boundaries and expectations for behavior. It's going to change. Christian peace, however, is objective because it is set on someone that's more than just man, someone who's 100% God. And it's set on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what may happen in the news today, no matter the conversation you may have to have tomorrow, Jesus will still be the same. That country, that relationship, that situation may be different, but Jesus is going to be the same. He's a rock. When God works faith into you, when the Holy Spirit regenerates you, or as we've been talking on Wednesday nights, when you are born again, you are justified by faith. You are declared innocent even though you know that you are guilty. You see, the Christian, in my opinion, is the oddest person on the planet because they know that they're guilty Guilty as charged, Your Honor, yet we're redeemed. We are simultaneously sinner, yet forgiven. That's the waging war of sin that the Christian has. Sinner, yet I'm forgiven. Jesus took on our punishment, and by his wounds, we are healed. When you are justified by God's free gift of faith, the result, the fruit, is peace with Jesus as Father. We are no longer estranged or alienated from the Father. You could be estranged or alienated from your physical father or your physical family. But because of what Jesus has done for you in the cross and the resurrection, you will never again be alienated from the best of all fathers and the best of all families, which should be, in theory, the church. Though America doesn't do a good job at it. We are adopted by Jesus' Father. And he doesn't see your sin. He sees his Son and his righteousness making you new. Therefore, you can rest and you can experience security in Jesus that you are at peace with his Father. And as the hands don't do what they used to do, or when you get the call from the doctor that you have been dreading, the Father's love will hold you down. Resting in God, growing in the peace that you enjoy with the Father is how you fight anxiety. And if you, I would challenge you, Heritage, to be as serious about this game plan as whatever regimen or treatment plan you may get from another outside source. Because your heart will no longer be troubled 
And your heart will no longer be fearful over the greatest tribulation you're ever going to experience. The greatest cause of anxiety that there is. And because that's done away with, the rest of life becomes a time where you fight and disarm. And your heart can begin to battle the smaller fights of fear and anxiety and trouble. You mean, I'm no longer a strange from the maker of heaven and earth because of Jesus? Okay, though it's hard, I can talk to that person. I can be afraid to talk to that person tomorrow, but I still have security in my Abba. That's, that's the Christian life. Now, second verse. Peace with God as the basis for us seeking peace with people. Later on to these Italian Christians, Paul says this in chapter 12, verse 18. And I need you to see all the suppositional language right now. Okay? Because we'll get to that. If possible, so far as it depends on you, then the truth be at peace with all men. Paul applies justification by faith the experience of peace with his father to seeking peace with the people in your life. What Paul is saying first and foremost, coupling Romans 5 and Romans 12 together is this. You cannot be at true peace with people unless you are at true peace with God. That peace will be a relative peace that's conditional on whether party A and party B does X, Y, and Z. Relative peace. The basis for peace among people is the experience of peace with God, not just as maker and as judge, but as father. Jesus conquered the greatest tribulation you will ever experience to secure your peace with the Father and what happens in that moment. Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit to mediate this experience more and more to you. And that puts you in a position to experience rest and security. Like, I could lose my job tomorrow because God is my dad. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And some of you are nodding because you've been there. You're a living testimony of that. You trusted God as Father, and it worked. Keep doing it. That's the method. That's the treatment plan for your fears and anxieties. And this also puts you on a path to seek peace with people. Because here's the thing. In your relationship with people, you must begin with this. If you truly are a Christian, you know what it feels like to be alienated from God. Because there was a time in which you were not a Christian, right? There was a time when you knew what it was like to be reconciled with God. To be like, okay, he found me out. Everything he knows about me is true. Guilty as charged. But what, you love me? You gave your most precious son to die for me. You know what it's like to be alienated. And you know what it's like to be reconciled. That's why we're odd people, right? Christians are odd. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Remember, the Holy Spirit's indwelling is meant to be proof of your adoption. Proof that you have God as Father and you have a new family. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, yes, convicting you of sin, teaching you God's word, causing you to remember Jesus' words when you need it most, it is proof that you belong to a new family with God as the head, with Father as head. And this necessitates a change in how you approach people because you know what it's like to be alienated and you know what it's like to be reconciled. Therefore, Paul says, now look at the suppositional language. If possible, so far as it depends on you. This means the Christian should have a desire to experience peace with people, to seek to pursue peace with people. They have this desire because they know what it feels like to be alienated and marginalized, and they know what it's like to be reconciled. 
It's the motivation for us seeking peace with people. But these phrasings by Paul implies that there are situations where you may try to pursue peace with people and it will not happen. That's the point of that suppositional language. That means the fear will still be there tomorrow. The hurt will still be there tomorrow. The anxiety can still be there tomorrow. But if you're a Christian, over and above all of that white noise is peace. That's what this means. Paul, like Solomon before him, they both know the beauty and the brokenness of humanity as fallen image bearers of God. Paul is no fool. There will be times, Christian, because you know what it's like to be alienated from God. You know what it's like to be reconciled with God. And you want that other person to experience it, and they don't want it. And it's driving you crazy. It hurts physically, emotionally, spiritually. You're afraid of it. You're troubled by it. It keeps you up at night. It wakes you up early in the morning. You are anxious, right? And you've done everything you can. I mean, you can screenshot the text messages, right? You've done everything you can. And it will not be achieved. Now, we've gone through Romans before. I've exegeted the 12th chapter for you. But if you have your Bibles and you want to just glance afterwards, Paul deals with this idea and tells us what to do and what not to do. In the situation where there was the possibility there were things that were dependent upon you. You pursued it. It did not work out. One plus one didn't equal two. And Paul tells you after this, he tells you explicitly, do not take revenge on that person. Do not seek vengeance. Do not be your own avenger. Leave that for the MCU, right? Let Hulk take care of Loki. <laughs> Love that scene. what he gets for being estranged from his brother. You may seek peace, and the other person may seek harm. You may seek peace, and the other person may intentionally withhold peace from you and then blame it on you. In this case, Paul says, clearly, do not take revenge. Trust in the Father. Because the Father, whom you have peace with, will avenge you. Because most likely, Christians are the peacemakers, and the peacemaking is the proof that you're sons and daughters of God. And most likely, one day, they will stand before God as maker and as judge, but not as father. Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you, even though they may have done stuff in this church. And he will say, depart from me, I didn't know you. Therefore, in that moment... God becomes maker, judge, and avenger. While you wait for your father to move, if you kept peeling through these verses in Romans 12, you will begin to see that Paul then tells you what to do instead. Let God be the avenger, and instead, this is what you got to do. He'll say something like, love the enemy. Now, that sounds like a couple weeks ago the true definition of love, the true fruit of love. And so we seek to love the enemy by seeking and pursuing their greatest good. And in this moment where there is alienation and they refuse for reconciliation, you peel back and you're pouring cold water on their fiery heads. And that cold water is called prayer. And it means praying for that person to experience Jesus as they should. Not as a transaction, not as something they just consume, and when they're done consuming, they move on. Just like everything else in their life that they just consume. They've done that to Christianity. So we pray for them not to just consume Jesus, not just to use Jesus, but we pray for them to experience Jesus as they should, as light in their dark heart etc. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit called love. That was two weeks ago. Finding security 
and the peace that Jesus provides for you with the Father is the basis for you seeking peace with people. And unfortunately, because we live in a fallen and broken world, it may not be achieved. And that relationship may be changed forever. Or there may be reconciliation. I wish I could tell you as your pastor, someone who loves you and prays for you. But the hope is, even worst case scenario, you can still be at peace. Even though your efforts did not work out the way you wanted them to. You have to remember that the people in your life is just as broken as you are. Which is why the first step to our salvation is called total depravity. You cannot truly come to Jesus if you don't really believe in your radical brokenness. And that releases you from holding other radically broken people responsible because they're just as equally as guilty as you are. Total depravity, Calvinism, is the true antidote to pride. Because when we come to human relationships that you are just depraved as I am, that desire for vengeance can just be lowered a little bit more because you desire, you deserve vengeance too for all things you have done. The people in your life is just as broken as you are. And when this happens, we don't react. We don't seek revenge. Hulk smash! Though it makes millions at the box office, right? We rest in the security in Jesus and his death to make us right with God as Father, and that God as Father and Judge and Maker will right all wrongs. God will make the Hulk look like Loki, the situation. No, no, no. A microscopic ant. That's God to Hulk. So you don't have to be the Avenger. And this will help you fight your troubles, your fears, your anxieties. This will help you experience peace when that person is tempting for that depravity to come out. Right? Tempting your heart to be afraid and tempting your heart to be anxious. If Jesus conquered the greatest tribulation, this is what it means to be a Christian in application. If you really believe that Jesus conquered your greatest tribulation, your greatest fear, your greatest anxiety, he is going to resolve the relational struggle that you're tempted right now to be anxious about. Amen? So we pray, let it be. Let it happen. Only the Christian can truly experience this because Jesus exclusively died for the Christian to secure this in us by his Spirit. And as a result of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, he is working love, joy, and peace into your heart.